The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, the red badge of courage. Many of you out there may be way too young to remember, but it is a war novel by American author Stephen Crane, published way back, way back, 1895. And the story reflects the inner experience of a protagonist who was a soldier who basically got cold feet, a.k.a. chickened out and ran away from combat. And what the reason I'm talking about this is because it's notable for what Crane called a psychological portrayal of fear. Now let me get started with our topic. What does courage mean today, 2016, in our innovation culture? So we have the red badge of courage from the war, and now we are in a different kind of war. How do we innovate? How do we have design thinking? How do we think freely in new directions? Courage is one of the most essential factors in the process of innovating. It's a fact. What does it do for you? It lets you open your mind to new ideas and possibilities. It also lets you not be afraid to fall flat on your face. Some people say getting egg on your face. And another thing it does is it doesn't let you get lost in the own world of your fabulous ideas. It takes you out of isolation. Failing can be a key to waking up to new ways and new paths to lead to successful innovation. If you didn't have it, you might not know when you really hit the big one. As Andre Gide said, you cannot discover new oceans unless you have the courage, there's that word again, to lose the sight of the shore. I have a fabulous panel today of three innovative thinkers. They are living the innovation culture. They're all at SAP. We've done shows with them before, and I'm delighted to have them back. So first up, I'm delighted to welcome Michelle Serrier, Global Head of Service Innovation at Global Services for SAP. And Michelle has sent me a quote from Heraclitus, who lived from 535 B.C. to 475 B.C. That's even farther back than Stephen Crane's 1895 novel. And what's interesting about Heraclitus is he was lonely. And he was riddled and ridiculed, but he stressed the need. He was actually called the obscure and the weeping philosopher. But he's famous on his insistence on ever-present change as the fundamental essence of the universe. And he had one famous quote, not the one Michelle sent me, no man ever steps in the same river twice. Very interesting. So here's the quote from Michelle. There is nothing more constant than change. And it sounds like Heraclitus was a specialist. Michelle Serrier, comment ça va? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Bonnie, to, uh, for having me again. Thank you for coming back. Well, it's your series. We're always happy to have a sponsor for, on their own series, Michelle. I love the quote. Now, are you a student of Heraclitus? Tell me how you found this one, Michelle. 
Uh, well, I, I was looking for something that would uh, relate to uh, to um, what I'm going, <laughs> what I'm currently going through, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, not just that uh, we're close to the uh, to the end of last year and the beginning of this year, which is already a change. Uh, plus, right. it's uh, how do you say that? It's a year with 360 days, 366 of the B60, whatever it is in in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the 29th of February. That's right. So it's uh, that's also a change which only happens um, every four years, and so I was looking for a quote which uh, which would uh, which would resonate to me, and uh, and that's when I I basically fell over Google in, on on this quote, and uh, and I know um, Heraclit uh, because I, I read some of his books when I when I had to when I was younger, and uh, and that's why I, I I took that quote, and and to me it, it yeah it's uh, there is nothing. Yes, the change is, is everywhere. Change is all the time. Um, uh, even if I if I take the example of me and my wife being married, what twenty five years now, or mm-hmm. twenty six actually in a, in a, in six months time, it still changes. It uh, it does mean it uh, changes in the sense it's something different, but it evolves and evol- evolution is a change. It certainly is. And Michelle, let me ask you a question before I I introduce your co-panelists from your team right in in a moment. Um, Courage and failure having to do with change. What happens to the person who says, yeah, it's changing, but it's not my job to change. It doesn't involve me. I can keep doing the same old, same old. So what? Let the world change. What about having the courage? How does somebody get that courage to change? What's your thought on that? Well, I think if I take the example of what you were relating to before with that book and written in 1895, um, mm-hmm. I mean, my grandfather was born in 1898 and went through the First World War, and I think there you needed to have a lot more courage than than what it takes today to, um, to actually change something, uh, because you're not risking your life most of the time. Um, you may risk your job, but, but let's put it the other way around. If you don't change, if you don't evolve, then you become obsolete. And uh, it may feel secure not to move, but it's the best way to uh, become redundant. So either you change and disrupt, disrupt even yourself, not even talking about a company or whatever, but I think you, mm-hmm. you need to reinvent yourself several times in your life. At the beginning, it happens automatically when you're a baby and so on. Then there is a bit of disruption which happens to you towards the end of your life, even though you don't want. Um, and in the middle, uh, you can drive it, so you should take the opportunity. Thank you very much, Michelle. Very interesting, and uh, thanks for the, the quote and the interesting information on him. Let's bring on our second panelist. It's Eska Olmez. She is a working student at SAP Service Innovation Design Thinking Center of Excellence. She's been on before. And and Eska is such a big help to me in putting these shows together for our Innovating Innovation with Game Changers series. She has sent me an interesting quote supposedly, Eska, forgive me for this, supposedly from Albert Einstein, but we know he gets a lot of attributions that are not rightfully his. Uh, Similar words before Einstein, similar words were also said by, let's see, Anonymous. Well, we already know there's always somebody named Anonymous. Joseph Conrad, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, and apparently Will Rogers. Here's the quote, and we'll have Eska explain why it's so important. It says, a person who never made a mistake never tried anything new. Eska Olmez, welcome back. How are you, my friend? Hello, Bonnie. I'm very fine. Thank you. 
Glad to hear from you. So talk to me. Whoever said the quote, I think it's brilliant. So tell me how you came to pick that on our topic today about the innovation culture and courage. Well, I think it fits very well uh, to our topic and uh, in general to innovation culture because I think making a mistake is really an important part of being innovative. If you don't make a mistake, you don't try anything new, you don't um, spend effort to think and um, come to a next level in your life. So making a mistake really, really brings you and your thoughts and your whole um, mentality to another level, I think. So this is the reason why I basically chose the quote and also because the fact that courage and being courageous is um, is an important factor of being creative and being innovative. So in order to have the courage, you have to take the risk to make a mistake and then you know, try new things and see what happens um, of that. Eska, that reminds me while you're talking of an old quote, and Michelle may be old enough to remember it. I know I know, uh, Eska and our, our third panelist coming on in a minute are definitely too young. The quote was, better safe than sorry. That's the exact opposite because you're saying someone who's never made a mistake, never tried anything new. But Eska, a, a couple of versions of that quote that are equally interesting to me, he who never makes an effort never risks a failure. So that's about just, just trying something. Here's another one from Joseph Conrad, 1896. It's only those who do nothing that make no mistakes. And then Theodore Roosevelt in 1900, just four years later, said the only man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything. So I think we're all in agreement. Uh, Eska, what would you say if somebody said to you, better safe than sorry, Eska? You know, you want to hold on to your job and you want to hold on to your position and you want to hold on to this yeah. and that. What would, what would you say to them now that you know the value of having courage and the value of learning from failure? What's your thought on that? Well, I think, I mean, we all want to reach another, you know, position at our jobs uh, or being richer or being more successful. But in order to accomplish that, I think we all need to take the risk to come uh, to uh, the next level in our lives. So without risking anything, you can accomplish really anything in your life, I think. So... um the, the most important thing of making a mistake is learning from that mistake. Because if you make one mistake all over again, it doesn't bring anything. So you need to learn from that um, and take that as an experience in the next chapter of your life. And then, you know, uh, go further. So I think uh, if you want to really reach something in your life, you need to risk something. I don't know what that could be, but uh, without risking anything, you can't um, go one step further in your life. I, I agree. Thank you very much for that. And now I'd like to introduce our third panelist today, also returning to the show. It's Martin Daum, D-A-U-M. He, like 
Esca is a working student in the Global Service Innovation Team at SAP, working with Michelle Serrier. And Martin has sent me an interesting quote. He didn't know who said it, but I looked it up. I Googled it, our famous lookup attribution tool, Martin. And I found that it's attributed to a teacher who is also a teacher in South Carolina, U.S., who is also a digital integration specialist. And his name is Sean Junkins, J-U-N-K-I-N-S. And uh, he has a passion. Listen to this, Martin for creativity and innovation. And he says the power of any device or application is only limited by the constraints of the user's imagination. I'll just leave it there. Here's the quote that Martin picked out from Now We Know, Sean Junkins. So often you find that the students you're trying to inspire are the ones that end up inspiring you. Beautiful quote. Martin Down, welcome back. How are you today? Hi, Bonnie. I'm fine. Thanks. Thank you. So we found out who, who the quote comes from. Sean Junkins, a teacher yeah. in South Carolina. And he says a lot of things like this. And by the way, they have T-shirts with this and they have posters with this. I think he's probably making a gazillion dollars from all the people who've quoted him. I'm teasing you. But anyway, Martin, what, what inspired you to bring us this quote on inspiration on a show about change and courage and innovation? Talk to me. Uh, well, I was um, like the others, uh, looking for a quote in, in the internet. And I found this, um, this quote and I read, uh, the students are trying to inspire you. And I, I thought actually I'm, I, I am a student in a team mm-hmm. who makes, uh, innovation. And sometimes or the most working students are uh, go to the company and try to learn something. But uh, I think the students are the most innovative uh, people, and so they they end up to to inspire the the, the company or the, to directly to the manager. And courage, it well, it needs uh, courage for the students um, to say something to the to the manager and inspire the, the manager. So they the manager can uh, be innovative. I love that. And and uh, if you look yeah. at Sean's LinkedIn profile, Martin, I'm going to read you just a little more from it, and I, I think you're going to love this. He says, technology is constantly changing and evolving, so we're all novices as new tools emerge. But we don't need experts. We just need people willing to take risks in order to empower teachers and engage students. You love it, Martin? Pretty good. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You, you pick somebody very, very perfect for the quote and, and for his background. Thank you so much. I tell you what, Michelle Serrier, I have in my notes from the last time you were on the show what you were drinking then. I'm not going to, I'm not going to risk, I'm not going to risk saying, are you still drinking sake? I didn't just say that on the air, Michelle. I'm just going to ask you what's in your cup today, Michelle Serrier, and where are you calling from? As, uh, so last time, I guess when I said sake, then it was, uh, it was, uh, I was in Tokyo at that point in time, if I remember well, absolutely. And uh, so that's not the case today. Today I'm sitting at home and um, I'm uh, only currently drinking water, but afterwards I'm going to uh, to go and uh, do a gin and tonic for myself. There are a lot of, uh, <laughs> I have an Indian friend, Upen, and, uh, and he knows very well a few jeans. And there are very good gins actually in uh, in Germany, which are also done in the Black Forest, called Nine Monkeys, and uh, that's an excellent one. And what did you just say that was called? Nine Monkeys. Interesting. Okay. And by the way, do you have a favorite brand of gin for your gin and tonic? 
it's it's actually that nine monkeys, and that nine monkeys ah! comes from uh, um, it comes from uh, the fact that a, a British soldier after the Second World War uh, kind of stationed there, and uh, and he actually used the house where they used to uh, to have monkeys in there, nine actually. And that's uh, when you so he was producing gin, and uh, and the the brand uh, remained with that name basically even when he went back to UK. Isn't that interesting? I just looked it up, and they also have something called Monkey Forty Seven, uh, Schwarzwald yes. Dry Gin. Yes, yes, and they say it's a must-have gin. Well, I'm going to have to next time I step up to the bar and feel brave. I'm going to say I want a nine monkeys gin and tonic, and see if they look at me like I have nine crazy heads on. Thank you, Michelle. You educated me. Thank you very much, Eska. What are you drinking today? It's, is it Turkish coffee? Likely, I said I wasn't going to talk about the last time, but it was so much fun. Eska, what are you drinking today? Yeah, well, this time I'm sitting uh, at the office, um, so I have the two, uh, you know, the typical drinks. The first one is a glass of sparkling water, and the next one is a cup of coffee. So I think it's the sixth or fifth one I have today, so a lot of coffee. A lot of coffee. Is there a name to the coffee? Does it have a brand? Does it come out of a machine? If I remember, the, the offices have pretty good coffee machines, if I recall. I haven't been in the office in a well, while. Well, it's just so. the coffee out of the machine, so I don't know which brand, but it tastes good. You're on your sixth cup, fifth or sixth. She can't remember which which one. That's very telling, Eska. Thank you very much. I'm glad you're, you're all pumped up for the show. Martin Down, what are you drinking? Is it apple mint tea again or something equally as interesting? No, it's, today it's a normal peppermint tea with honey because uh, my, my throat a little hurts, and tea with honey is the best way to to drink. Even it's where we cold outside, and so the tea is the best uh, drink I, for this. I happen to agree. By the way, how cold is it? We just had our first snow here in New York last night. Most of it is gone, but we're down into the 20s and below. So I'm wondering, how cold is it where you are, Martin? Uh, well, I'm in Heidelberg, and it's, uh, it's the first time it's really cold here this winter. It's about zero degrees in Heidelberg, uh, Celsius. And that's about 30, 30 degrees Fahrenheit in U.S. Mm-hmm. That's sure? cold. So that's cold. That's, yeah. The first cold time enough. Over, Christ- <laughs> yeah. over Christmas, we have about uh, 15 degrees Celsius, I think. Wow. Wow. Yep. yep. Now, now yep. you know what we've got here. By the way, I have to do a shout out to a colleague of Michelle's and Eska's and Martin's. Her name is Inessa Lockhart. She was supposed to join us today, but is under the weather, meaning she's not feeling well. And I just wanted to read the quote she sent me, which is also very appropriate for our conversation. She says, it's a quote from Bill Gates. It's fine to celebrate success, but it's more important to heed the lessons of failure. So Inessa, thank you very much for, for doing the prep work for the show. Sorry you can't join us. And we'd love to hear from Inessa later on what she's drinking. So maybe we'll find out. So I tell you what, we're talking today about courage, failure, and the innovation culture. It's really part two of talking about how we live and how we live in the innovation culture, which we did a couple of months ago on this series. We've got a lot to talk about with Michelle Serrier and Eska Olmez and Martin Dam. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to 
Innovating Innovation with Game Changers Radio, presented, of course, by SAP. We're going to take a quick break so they can refresh what's in their cup. I'm just drinking cool, clear water here with a pretty orange straw, and that's all they allow me to drink on radio show days, but you already knew that. So we'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael out. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Innovating Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Welcome back. You're listening to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers Radio. And we're talking today with Michelle Serrier and Eska Omez and Martin Dam. Very important topic. Wherever you are in the world, whatever the footprint and maturity of your company is, whatever industry, or even, and maybe more importantly, if you're a startup or somebody with a gleam in your eye to start a new business, a product, or service, the topic is courage failure, and the innovation culture. It should affect every single company all around the world, and that's what we're trying to get enough information out there so you understand this. So let's start our roundtable with Michelle Serrier. And, Michelle, you sent me a very interesting comment here. You say, innovation goes beyond ideas. It's about being successful. Now, Michelle, that says to me there's a little pressure here. We haven't talked about pressure. We've talked about failure. We've talked about courage. We've talked about thinking outside the box. We've talked about embracing change. We've talked about getting out of your own isolated world. And now you say you have to be successful? Michelle, talk to me. Well, that's uh, the whole point about uh, um, everything you said is right, but... uh, um, uh, being innovative is uh, um, means also being uh, being successful, uh, but people have a tendency when they don't know what innovation is about to reduce it to uh, having ideas, and mm-hmm. ideas is on the easy. I'm going to say it's the easy piece, um, but actually, you could say to a certain extent it's the only one that uh, that requires courage because uh, when. Um, it's a piece that everyone believes, or most of the people believe that when, when they believe they're not innovative, they actually mean that they, they do believe they're not able to have ideas. And uh, um, if you coach them a bit or if you get them a bit out of their comfort zone, then everyone is creative, is having ideas, and that's uh, already a good step in the direction of being really innovative and uh, and in the end, being successful. But uh, originally, that's the difference between the idea and an innovation. The idea is the first step. The innovation is actually an idea which is successful, which has been adopted and so on. 
and uh, but um, they, there won't be any innovation around uh, without ideas and there is there are no ideas without people having the courage of uh, voicing those um, ideas which were not spelled out before Thank you, Michelle. Let's do the math before we invite Aska and Martin to talk. The math would be, we, Michelle, we all know the phrase, fail fast, fail often. When you you have people on your team, you have to give them a review. We all know we still live with HR reviews half the way through the year and the end of the year. And, oh, my goodness, I know. We have we have radio series about changing HR leadership and, and the needed changes in HR and the attitude about reviews. But all that aside, Michelle, how many tries do you get, give someone – to come up with ideas and fail and then dust themselves off, pick themselves up, and try again until they have one successful innovative idea. How much, how long is that bandwidth? I'm talking to you as a manager, as, as a professional who's been around a while. How long do you let somebody keep on failing before you say, nope, you're really not very successful at innovation, Bob. Go home. What do you do? I don't think I would take the, the fact of uh, having ideas or taking risks uh, or whatever as just um, something which is relevant to someone which is uh, innovative. But the, um, uh, um, I would actually say that everyone has as many chances as he wants. I, I even the thing is, uh, people should they will realize quite rapidly that uh, that um, I mean, if you don't as uh, um, as we were saying it earlier, if you don't try things, you're not uh, um, you're not going to get anywhere, and then you're going to be um, how do you say that overtaken by other people, so mm-hmm. or or other events. So the, the, you need to you need to take as a manager. You need actually you should not manage but lead, and you should lead people to uh, to take risks and. Uh, and if they take take risks, and if they 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 will realize that uh, sometimes you fail, most of the time actually you fail, but that's not that's not an issue as long as you don't do the same mistake twice or three times, then it's uh, there is no there is no problem. Everyone, who, I mean, everyone making decisions, and that's normally also the role of a manager is always taking risks, and uh, um, you, you can always go wrong. Uh, you should just not repeat the same mistakes. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. That's the nugget. That's the piece of gold in them Nar Hills I was looking for. Thank you, Michelle. Learn from your mistakes. Fail fast and fail often, but fail on different things, different pieces of the puzzle, different pieces of the pie, and keep learning as you go along. That's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. Aska, Almez, talk to us. Do you agree or disagree with what Michelle said? And why don't you expand it from your point of view? Well, of course, I agree because, I mean, the best thing you could ever do is just failing once and don't repeat your mistake because um, I think the best thing is uh, that you fail in an early stage of uh, the innovation process because if you stick on one specific idea and keep your eyes closed to the rest of the ideas, that might be even more innovative than your chosen one, then it's it won't end up in being a successful innovation. So um, try things, and if you fail, then you should fail in an early stage. Okay. Michelle, you want to react to that? What's your thought? Well, the I mean, you, you, you can also... 
fail at a, at a later stage, but I was giving a training last week where I was uh, in a university actually in Geneva, and uh, and uh, this is this was exactly the point. They were uh, most of the time what we face is, uh, um, and at least it was the case where I was that uh, that those um, that failure is not an option. This is something mm-hmm. you see written a ton of times, and I can understand that when I'm the NASA and I have I'm sending up a, a rocket with. Uh, with three people sitting inside to go to the moon and then back. But mm-hmm. until they get to that rocket that is not supposed to make any mistakes, they um, they should. It, it's actually a lot cheaper uh, to have those mit- mistakes while we're, uh, we're working on things and uh, when you're alive, so to say. And uh, the earlier you make those mistakes, the cheaper they are. Even though pe- it's true that a mist- every mistake has a cost. But the fact of having the, the, the more you wait to have those mistakes, uh, the, the more expensive they're going to get. Mm-hmm. Very interesting point. Mark, Mark you know, Dam. Do you, do yeah, you, go ahead, do you Michelle. Know, do, you, do, you, do you know this game called the Marshmallow Challenge? No. You, you, you should look into it if you don't know it. There is a site called marshmallow.com where basically people get 20 spaghettis, um, one, one meter of mass tape, one meter of, um, um, of kind of a, a cord, and they, and they get... 20 spaghettis, one marshmallow, they get 18 minutes, and you have to ask them to build the, the, the self, a self-standing structure in those 18 minutes as high as possible with the marshmallow on top without breaking <laughs> apart the marshmallow. And the thing is, kids and, uh, and people that are taking risks are going always to win because they build structure by putting three spaghettis and the marshmallow on top, and they're going to add a fourth one and the marshmallow on top and so on. And most of us, because that's the way we're taught, we're going to start planning for 16 minutes and then um, build something which is really high, but which won't hold the, um, the weight of the marshmallow at the end. <laughs> and there is a whole theory on that. I, very interesting. I looked up the website, marshmallow.com, and I'm sad to say that at this very moment, their website is undergoing maintenance, and there's nothing there but a beautiful <laughs> picture of people walking across a bridge. So I'm going to look up Marshmallow Challenge while we invite Martin to join this conversation. Martin Dam, we have some interesting propositions on the table from Michelle and from Eska, her response. So, Martin, what's your position on this? Well, I'm on the same position like Michelle and Eske, even with the fail early, fail often. Um, I think uh, to to fail is something normally because uh, nobody is perfect in the first time. So um, you you need to fail to to invite something new. Even for example, the marshmallow challenge, what I actually also did. In, in the in the study or during my study, and so you you need sometimes or you need often to to rebuild your your marshmallow tower, and uh, so you fail often, and in the end you maybe you have the highest tower of the whole group. And I actually found another quote from Thomas Edison when 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 he invited the light. Uh, Bulb, 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 and uh, it says uh, he needs one thousand twice to to invite this. And some See? someone said, um, "Well, you've um, you failed nine hundred ninety times." Mm-hmm. And Thomas Edison said, "I didn't 
make 999 mistakes, I just found 999 ways how it doesn't work uh, to build a light bulb. And so I think you can fail very often, but when in the end you have uh, the, the, the right idea or the, the, the thing it works, I think you, you will be fine. Because you fail, will fail, and it's it's not a big deal to fail. So you have to to have the the courage to say, okay, I'm fail, but I mm. then I try another way. Interesting, um, Martin and and Michelle and Eska. I have to tell you, I was persistent. I failed the first time, Michelle, marshmallow.com, but it's actually marshmallowchallenge.com, and I found it. And it looks like the person who started this whole thing, the Marshmallow Challenge, is Tom Wujek, W-U-J-E-C. Yes, and he had a, a TED. He had a TED Talk, and he says, I believe the Marshmallow Challenge is among the fastest and most powerful techniques for improving a team's capacity, team, 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 team's capacity, to generate fresh ideas, build rapport, incorporate prototyping, all of which lie at the heart of effective visualization. And then, of course, he's pushing his books and his talks and his tools and all that good stuff. Very, very interesting. You know, Michelle, I have a a television show here in New York. I I produce and host a show called Something to Talk About. And I really recently invited the local robotics team from one of the high schools to come on. And eight Uh members of the team, they have a hundred, get this, a hundred members. And they're almost almost 50% equal boys and girls, male and female, which is very surprising to a lot of people that girls would be so interested. And they compete all over the Northeast, I guess, with uh, with very strict rules on robotics. I wonder if I invited them back on TV to do the Marshmallow Challenge. I wonder if they would accept the challenge on a live 30-minute. What do you think, Michelle, a live 30-minute talk show? Do you think they'd do it? Yeah, yeah, I think they do it, but it would be very interesting. But you have to give them 18 minutes, not one more. And, uh, I will, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll set it up and we'll have a clock ticking. I'll have, I'm, I'm going to contact the teacher uh, who was uh, one of the top five nominees on one of the New York TV stations as teacher of the year. I think he's going to love this. Let's see if they want to play. Michelle, before I move to some talking points from Eska and Martin, there's something else here in your notes that I, I really want to make sure we cover early and reasonably early in the show. You say we need to move from IQ to we, W-E-Q. Can you tell me what that means? There is. It's basically there are uh, there are a few um, um, thought leaders that actually uh, wrote a book which is uh, um, which is saying IQ to EQ. And if I'm not mistaken, there is even a foundation called EQFoundation.com. Something like this, but I, I didn't go into into that. The thing is, um, we were uh, when it came to innovation, we uh, with our team we created kind of a small assessment which uh, which uh, is on a one pager which. Martin knows a lot because he transformed it into an Excel. And we call that the innovation quotient for IQ. And then I went to uh, the, um, the Hassel Plattner Institute in Potsdam and saw mm-hmm. the world is IQ to EQ. And that struck me without having read the book, without um, knowing anything, that this is actually where we need to go all together. It's, uh, because I stands for, of course it stands for innovation, but it also stands for individual, for silo, mm-hmm. for um, yes, uh, not cooperation and so on, and the whole. Iso- yep. 
Yeah, and the whole WeQ is basically really making sure that actually you work in a collaborative manner, that uh, um, uh, the uh, you work as a team, if we relate to what we were saying with the marshmallow.com, um, and so on. So it's a, it's making sure that we move from a from a world which believes that being a we actually, if you look at history, we come from something where in when we before men had fire or just when we learned fire, then it was the power of the tribe, and you, you needed to stick together to have a single chance of surviving, because alone you wouldn't survive. Mm-hmm. Then the the more developed you get, we you, you believe that you 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 can turn yourself into Schwarzenegger or Iron Man and survive everything on your own. But this is just not true. It's a, um, the only way of progressing is actually to work together and to um, to leverage all the brains that are around you. And that's a, that's a, that's the way we work in the team. And I, um, you could also, there are now some management approaches which are called halacracy, which are actually mm-hmm. making sure that you don't have leaders anymore, but you just have different mm-hmm. roles in the team. Interesting. Well, I, I looked up, of course, you know, I looked up WeQ, and uh, for better or for worse, I found Peter Siegel, but of course, every single website about it is in German, and I am not fluent or even... I can't even get through one sentence in German for reading it, so I apologize. I can't add anything here, but thank you very much. I'm going to have to go see if I can find an English translator for this. Uh, Asuka, I want to look, I'm looking at your notes here, and here's something very interesting, very provocative. You have a lot of quotes you sent me, not just your opening quote. There's one here from Robert Weider, W-I-E-D-E-R, and I love this one. He says, anyone can look for a fashion in a boutique or history in a museum. The creative explorer looks for history in a hardware store and fashion in an airport. I'm not sure what it means, but I love it. I want to crochet it on a pillow somewhere. <laughs> Eska, tell me what this means to you and why you picked this as part of your talking points. Well, uh, when I looked up for, for quotes for the opening segment, I basically found that one, and I think it really fits very well to... Uh, to the culture of innovation and bring being provocative and being courageous because um, you need to look at something from various perspectives, I think. And as we said before, if you need to, uh, if you want to be successful or if you want to be innovative, you need to be courageous. And this one means actually that you need to also combine different powers um, For example, if you look at brands now, like, I don't know, Louis Vuitton or Nike, they Mm -hmm. combine their powers uh, to reach more people, and then they also combine their success. So um, looking at at something from different perspectives means a lot, I think, in being innovative. And, and Eska, before I move to some of Martin's notes and ask Martin to comment, there's something else here you added that, that I'd like both Michelle and Martin to comment on. You say, look to something from all possible angles. But here's the, the most important part of what you said, Eska. You wrote to me, destructing cliches in order to be creative is the starting point of being innovative. Destructing cliches. Now, cliche means same old. It means what people are used to doing. It means the same way we've always done it. It means, yeah, everybody knows about that. How brave and courageous do you need to be to destruct a cliché? Aska, what's your experience? Well, I think you need to explore something that um, not many or maybe not only not one person explored yet because 
if you look at something from the same perspective as others look at it, then it's not an innovation. You need to be different and you need to create an idea at first and then um, start the process of innovation. So just trying to remake something as it was before doesn't mean then that you have a creation of something that could possibly be an, be an innovation. So just try to view something from various perspectives. That's the idea behind that. And distracting cliches, it means that uh, just, um, you know, being regular or trying to look at something from a regular perspective doesn't bring you anything and it doesn't take you one step further. So um, you need to basically look at something from all possible angles and just try to uh, have a different view and look at it as something different. So that might be the starting point of innovation. And then maybe you fail, maybe you succeed. It doesn't matter, but you have a different view than others. That's the crucial point in that. Thank you very much, Eska. Martin Dam, I'd love for you to comment on, on the quotes I just read, the uh, Weeder quote from that, that Eska brought us, as well as the idea of disrupting a cliché. What do you think, Martin? Uh, well, it, I think I, I think Eska already taught everything. And also to, to think in clichés, it's not nothing helped to, to be innovative because... Uh, what Esco or what the quote also said is to uh, uh, to see um, just a moment to see uh, looking some something from all positive angel. I think that's also important to to see uh, everything, not just just one way. So one way should be a, a cliche. What what in, in a cliche? What 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 you're thinking? And to see everything from a wider angle, angel, uh, will, will help you to, to be in a way. Martin, I thank you. And I want to add on from your some of your notes you sent me because I, th I think we're on to where I really wanted you to go. You say students or graduate students are more flexible to try something new. And here's the important part I want you to talk about, Martin. You say even if they don't know how a process in a company works, that to me is that's I think that's where the magic comes from because they come in, they're fresh, they're new. They don't know what, as Eska said, the cliche is. They don't know the this is the way it's always been done, so don't try to change it. They they don't know. They maybe not don't care. So as a student, what do you observe, Martin? What have you done where you come into a company? I know you're working with Michelle and, and Eska at SAP. What do you do? You come in and you say, ah, well, you know, I'm just going to rethink the whole process of X, Y, Z. How bold and courageous do you need to be, Martin, to do it this way? Um, well, um, I think, Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I come to to a company as as a student and and I don't know the, the process or how it works, I, I think it's first it, it helps to me to to look how the the other employees uh, works in the process and maybe I, I think when when I see how the other works and I think how would I do this process. Mm -hmm. 
maybe I find a, 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 a better way how to do it because the employee works in this process maybe for, for a few years or, or five, five years, and I'm as a new one, as a totally different view to the process, and even other people think in just one way, and the student or a new employee uh, has a wider view to, to the process, and uh, actually when they actually come from the university, they are graduate, they have uh, uh, they learned new methods they can uh, do in the, in the process. Martin, you also say in your notes here, another way for a company to get a different and fresh point of view is to hire an outside consultant. They're not in the process of your company. They might have experience in other companies. They can see the problems in what you're doing that you and the people who are working for you cannot see because you're too close to it. You want to give me an example of that or you want to just add to that a little bit before I want to get Michelle's point of view on this? But Martin, what about hiring a consultant? How have you seen that work well in innovation? In innovation, well, uh, when, when you hire an external uh, consultant, it's the same like to hiring or hiring a student or a graduate. The, the consulting has uh, specific um, in, information about a process, like, like banking uh, systems or, or like this. And when an external consultant comes to the company, you first have a look over about the whole process, and then he analyzed um, what goings wrong in his uh, in his way, and so um, maybe he has some new ideas how the process can be innovated or to be or help to be innovated because they, they don't in the process for the whole time he just come new to the process, and maybe the 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 consulting help you or help the company he hiring him to go um, one or two steps uh, back to see the whole problem and not, not just uh, uh, the single problem. And so the, the, the company see another way how to solve the problem they have. Thank you, Martin. Michelle Servier, as a manager... I'm sure you have a very interesting point of view about this. You work with students. You're working with ESCA. You're working with Martin. You're working with Anessa. And I'm sure there are many others at the uh, Center of Excellence you work in. Michelle, when does it seem – we haven't used the word disruptive too often in this conversation yet, I don't think. When is somebody disruptive where they say, oh, Michelle – you know, you've got five steps to this process. I think we can really do it in four. When does the manager get annoyed versus when does the manager say, okay, Bob, that's great. I'll give you 31 minutes to show me where the fourth step is, and then we'll tell everybody it's time to change. When does disruption meet innovation, meet change, meet annoyance, meet, wow, we're on to something? Can, can you share a little bit of that with us, that process as a manager, what you see? That's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would say that, that uh, I mean, normally there shouldn't be any point where you get annoyed. Um, the, only, the only point I get, uh, the, the only point in time where I personally as a manager would get annoyed uh, if someone, is if someone comes back with the, the, the force change in the same process and if it's the same person. There is a, mm-hmm. there is a point in time where you should basically uh, stop trying to perfectionate 
make things perfect and rather roll them out, even they, if they're not perfect, and then try to get some some adoption and then tweak it again. We we have uh, sometimes too much the tendency to do. I'm going to say too much research before we go out and test it. And uh, um, but other than that, uh, that there is no. I'm, I'm actually expecting. I'm, I'm I'm rather annoyed if someone if no one is coming back and telling me every. There is something we could do differently, and uh, the thing is, I, I even if I take the example that of Ma, what Martin was saying is, the advantage of a consultant is that actually, and this is what we do for a living, is actually that we um, we we bring a different light to the problem, but we should not. We also bring only one light, and this is the main advantage of uh, creative techniques like design thinking and so on. Mm-hmm. Is that every technique that is basing basing its approach on the fact that you use a multidisciplinary team is actually going to enable you to make sure that you're um, looking at the problems from every dimension because every one of us is going to be uh, able to look at one dimension. Uh, taking the analogy of Martin before, um, the, the further I go from the problem, the, the better I will have a, a wider angle to look at it, but I will not be able to see the other face of the of the challenge. So that's why you need several people with uh, different skill sets, with uh, a, a brain which works in a different way. And that uh, it's a combination of it and this weak you approach, which is going to drive um, the, the, the best ideas, I believe. Michelle, I'm very intrigued with what you just said. And, and we did another show a couple of days ago at SAP, another radio show. And someone brought up a quote by Voltaire. Maybe you've heard of this. He said, Perfect is the enemy of good. Agree or disagree, Michelle yep. Serrier? Yep, I that's it, agree. right? There is. Yep, that, yep. that's it. Uh, I want to make sure we get some final comments here. We have a few minutes left, and I'm, we're going to go to our predictions round in just about oh, two minutes or so. Yeah, in about a minute, actually. But I want to make sure I get some comments on what we just shared with Michelle from Eska and from Martin. Eska, any thoughts on perfect as the enemy of good and in terms of people coming into an organization, into a team, into a group, into a, a, a some kind of a session saying, yeah, I think we should be doing it differently. Uh, what's your reaction as a younger person? in the process you say wow we just figured out how to do 15 steps into eight now he wants to come in and change it to four are you serious do you ever have that reaction or is it oh yes this is wonderful tell me truthfully Eska, what do you think well i think that um people who do something automatically people who are in a company for like i don't know 20 years or something look at something from a closed space so bringing that new energy into a team means a lot, I think. And I remember when we first started with the internship, um, we got projects where we specifically needed to tell our perspective from younger students um, to that specific topic. So um, different mindsets, different generations, and different skills and also different experiences uh, in one combination bring success, I think. So people who do things automatically and don't really think that it could be done in a new way um, need that different type of energy in a team. Thank you, So, yes, I think... um, 
also, you know, adding that energy of students, of younger graduated people could bring um, really good innovations or, you know, just success to a team and a company. Thank you. Martin, thoughts on that quickly before we quick go to a one minute each? I think, oh, we don't even have one minute left for predictions. Martin, let's hold off on that. <laughs> I'm going to let you, st- Martin Dam, I'm going to start the predictions round with you because you were next on my list to talk. So, Martin, uh, you get the honor. Why don't you just give me uh, three sentences on predictions on where is courage, where is failure, where is innovation culture, where is this all going in, let's say, in the next uh, couple of years? What do you see in terms of any changes or are we still going to be in in this exploratory phase that's what i think it is martin what do you see well in the next few years i think uh, managers from other companies uh, will hire more students and to have the the courage to to listen to the students and so they be more innovative because also like oscar said they bring a new energy to to the team and have a different uh, view of, of some problems or to the to the process. Thank you very much. Uh, Eska, what's your prediction? I, I give you about two or three sentences and then we're just about ready to close. My prediction, um, well, I think that people who are courageous and brave enough to um, have a different view on something and I don't know how to say that. Just, you know, don't think in a cliche and try to take your idea to the next level and don't be afraid of failing. Thank you. Very, very well put. Words of words of wisdom from a wise young lady. Michelle Sirier, I'm going to let you close this part of the show. Predictions, what do you see? I can give you one minute. Go. I will I will take the uh, the other side or the yeah the, the flip coin from uh, from what Martin was saying by by stating that I believe that uh, he, the only way we're going to achieve innovation is by on one hand having uh, senior managers with a lot of experience posting jobs but then in the in the end the students coming in picking the managers they want because what they're looking for is a leader and not a manager. Hmm. Okay, thank you very much. And I want to thank my three very interesting panelists, Michelle Sarrier, Eska Olmez, Martin Daum, and a shout-out to your colleague, Inessa Lockhart. I hope you're feeling better. We missed you, Inessa. I hope you'll tell her that, Eska, for me, please. And uh, you've been listening to Innovative, Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. It's a big topic, and we're so happy we have a special series dedicated to it. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Maybe you'll innovate and create a new seatbelt this year. Who knows? Anyway, whatever kind of seatbelt you're using, what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer. Be an innovative game changer today. We'll talk to you soon on Game Changers Radio. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.
again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.